0: Wow, what powerful words we just sang. Come all who are unfaithful. That's us, right? So glad for God's faithfulness towards us. I'd ask you to turn to John chapter 13. We're going to be starting there this morning, just briefly as we take a look at the Lord's table this morning, exclusively. Be looking at 1 Corinthians 11 after that. And I just want to say, that it's a privilege to be able to share the word this morning. It's a privilege to be able to read and know the word. It's a huge responsibility to try to articulate the greatness of what God has for us as we look to it. And that's my prayer this morning. And and before we begin, I I, I gotta say that we're just looking at what the text says the best we can. And there's no ulterior motives, there's no other things that are. Being thought of in the midst of this, there's there's no situations, there's no individuals, we're not sticking, I'm not sticking my finger in anybody's face. The, The truth is, is that when we come to the word, it's really convicting for all of us. And to just take it for what it says is the best way to handle it. So as we begin this morning, let's just ask the Lord to be at work in our hearts, and we'll step through this this morning. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we, we thank you that you're faithful for all of us who are not. Even when we try so hard, we often look to do that on our own. And, and we fail and we struggle. And we come back to you and we realize there's blessing in leaving us weak. And that, and that we are forced to live in your strength and by your grace. And we're learning that. We're so thankful for your word that we can know you. We're so thankful for your patience and the Spirit applying it to our lives that we would know you more, even as we reflect on things we already know. We just pray that you would give us clarity this morning as we look to your word again. And we pray that work would continue in our life. And we pray this in your Son's name. Amen. You know, month after month we come here and these elements are set up and these men come and sit in the front and sometimes we can get really used to that process sitting down and partaking the elements and i just want to ask how often do we just take that in stride and and maybe we in a moment realize we're wrong maybe in a moment realize something needs to be fixed but quickly back into the same cycles of things every time we remember these elements remember the death of our lord the cost of our redemption should be a sobering time as much as an encouraging time. And as we look this morning, I hope that both of those are accomplished. You know, if there's ever a time to reflect on God's call on our lives, if there's ever a time to, to refresh our focus on what He has done for us, obviously these are the moments. The early church observed it often. You know, we do so, you know, monthly. We, we look to this now this morning, hopefully in a, in a fresh light, and as we look at this, we realize that this is an expression of a humble love. There's no greater humility of Christ than Christ coming as he did to die on that cross as he did for us. Sometimes we can live very separate from that, and it's very easy to do that. This morning, as we look to these elements, there's nothing new to this central truth that I must follow Christ's example. I mean, isn't that what we're supposed to be doing all the time? But this is the best picture of that in a real physical way, of his example. And in 1 Corinthians 11, which we turn to so often, we probably have the bulk of that memorized. We know what the words are going to be even before one of us starts speaking them. We can get into a rut. But every time we come to these elements, the bread and the cup... It should be a vivid reminder, if there's ever one, of that example that he's called us to. And so this morning, in John chapter 13, as we look at this, we're just going to walk through this very quickly, hopefully, uh, before we get to 1 Corinthians 11. And in, in John chapter 13, we have the disciples. They're gathered in the upper room. And in those very first verses, verses 1 through 11, we see that Jesus washes the disciples' feet. This is not a message on washing feet. I know people get nervous about the prospects of having to wash feet, though some churches do that. The issue isn't the washing the feet, it's the service. It's the service of something that even the servants in the day, you've probably heard this, wouldn't normally have to do unless agreed to. Like very low, 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 even lower, humbling to do a terrible task. Jesus did that. It bothered Peter. You see that in the text. We're not going to focus on that. But he's like, no, you're not going to do this. You're my Lord. You're my Savior. You're my teacher. I think sometimes as we look at this, we forget that he not only washed their feet, but Judas was still with them. Jesus washed Judas' feet. You know, we often get pretty justified in our hearts when we have a Judas in our life, right? Or we think we do, maybe we don't. If there is ever an example to follow of humble love, everything that's focused here, even the setting in which Christ shared this meal with his disciples as a reminder of the greatness of his humble service, even to his known enemy. He knew what Judas was going to do. He even said to them, not all of you are clean. We can never measure up to this. It's a lifelong growth process. As we, as we look at this, you know, we try to. By his grace, we grow in this. But, but Jesus highlights the importance of this following his example. And we see that if you would read along with me in verses 12 and following of John 13. He says, you call me teacher... And Lord, and you are right, for I am so, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and your teacher, implied there, have washed your feet, have humbled myself to serve you in this this demeaning way, in this nasty way, the feet were not nice, right? Then you also ought to wash one another's feet. Is it really about clean feet? I mean, was he telling the disciples, the whole rest of your life, You guys got to be there washing each other's feet. They never go out into the whole world to share the gospel. Is that really what he's saying here? No, of course not. Was the whole point of his coming, was to come and wash the disciples' feet? No. Pastor Ken read that this morning. It was going to the cross. It was this. But the washing of the feet in a real tangible way demonstrated in a smallest scale the fullness of what this humbling to the point of death, even death on a cross, For us, required of him. Verse 15, I have given you an example that you should also do just as I have done to you. Truly, truly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master nor a messenger greater than the one who sent him. And you know, what's interesting, at the beginning of this, he asked the question, do you understand what I have done for you? And you know, every time I read this passage in my mind, the first thing I say is, no, we really don't. Even these elements. I mean, in a visceral way, we can understand his blood flowed. In a visceral way, we know that he was beaten and his body was broken for us. And even as we think about it and we understand the medical aspects of what happened to him, we cringe a little bit. We like He suffered so physically for us, but that was a small aspect of that payment. It was that eternal debt that was laid on his back as the father turned his back On the Son. You know, once you accepted Christ as your Savior and you came into this fellowship with God, He hasn't turned his back on us. Christ, Christ faced that. No, I, I don't understand. His disciples didn't understand. I think they grew to understand more, and I think we do too. But this principle in verse 14. If I am the master, if I am over you, if I'm the teacher, if I'm the sovereign of the universe, the creator of all that is, will humble myself and do this for you, who you know is lesser, then you need to do this for one another. I've given you an example. I've given to you what kind of leader do we see in Christ who says, all right, I did it, you can do it too not one that lords over us, not one that sits there with his arms crossed and said, all right, you need to execute this plan of mine, but one who says, I have done this, now you can too. You know, as we look at our Savior, it never ceases to amaze us as to how wonderful he truly is. It's so hard for us to be like him. The humbling thing is, verse 16, when I think about this and realize when I say no, I'm going to serve me. I'm not going to humble myself like Christ did for me. I'm going to accept his gift and claim those rewards and then say somehow I'm better than what he would call me to do. Oh, that's convicting. I'm telling you, I'm not sticking my finger in anyone's face. This is in mine, too. All of us, our hearts so quickly turn from a place of service to an expectation of service. Every month we come, we should be reminded of the greatness of who our Savior is. And there's a promise here. Do you notice that in verse 17? Blessed are you if you do them. If you know these things, if you understand them, the implications of this knowledge, that, that I am not greater than my master. my master humbled himself and served, and so. So I am going to do that and we find blessing first because we're there with him. He says, come and take on his yoke, right? His yoke is easy, his burden is light. Come and learn from me for I am meek and mild of heart. When we come into that place of service, we have good company. Oh, and we are so blessed in so many ways. You know, there's a lot of things in our life that get fixed when we first start with this change in our heart. And there's so many things we're praying for, pleading for God, God, would you change this? Would you do this? And yet the first step is this shift daily. Daily. But I love this word, do them. This word, if you do them, is this expectation that you are planning to do this, that you're executing this plan, that you are seeking to do something. You might say that that's obvious. Do it. No, well, it isn't just, it doesn't happen. Sometimes what we think is that we're going to have this loving life and it's just going to happen. That's not what Jesus is saying here. What he's saying is, I'm giving you an example. This is going to be hard for you. And look what Jesus did, even as he washed their feet. They recoiled from that and he says, No, no, you don't understand now, but you will after. See, Jesus had purpose even in this. Do we purpose? to serve others in our life, Like if there's an action item, there's always, you know, central truth and then something you can take away. You know, that, what a, a good sermon's supposed to be, right? Well, if there's an action item in this, it's to purpose, to serve somebody that we're struggling with maybe even today. Who is that? What is that? This is a purpose we find blessing. Not just thinking that it's going to happen because I can tell you it won't. It hasn't. Well, as we continue, there's a whole message here. It's very convicting. But just looking at this example, we see as we continue down through John 13, he sends out Judas. I'll let you guys read that. And then he gives these disciples this commandment that we know, that, that, that we probably have even thought, you know what, I'm going to try to do this more. I'm going to try to grow in this aspect. Maybe not. But we certainly know these words. A new commandment I've given to you, verse 34, that you love one another. How basic and how simple, and yet how impossibly hard in our flesh, apart from his work. Love one another. Now this gets even worse for us. Just as I have loved you. Husbands, we're in a tough spot. We're told that we are to love our wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself for You know, right away, as we read those words in Ephesians, we're like, (laughs) I don't have that kind of love all the time. Love not just as you would think, but as you have seen. Love as I have loved you. By this, notice verse 35, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Now, we talk a lot about evangelistic plans, how we're going to reach communities, how we're going to reach our neighbors. And one of the things that Jesus says is the greatest beacon of truth right here, it's how we are in relation to one another because of our great God. You know, there's so often we're, con- we're convinced we got the right words. If I just get the right words, and Jesus is saying, you have to have the right life and the right heart. I heard it said a long time ago, our words are like nails and our life is the hammer that drives them home. Both are required. They will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. A disciple is A follower. And this is the kind of love that God had through Christ Jesus perfected in the flesh towards them. And as they modeled that, certainly they demonstrated they're like him. Certainly they demonstrated they would be his disciples. And yet, sometimes I think we miss that in some of our plans, even as we look to those that are around us. By this, people will know that you are mine. Humble, sacrificial love, deferential love, humble, thinking of others, More important than our own momentary interests. Following Christ's example, you know we we can't do this on our own. We can't do this on our own. And this morning, maybe it's just me. I I always share this because I'm a doer kind of guy, right? When I hear things like this, my first instinct is, well, I'm going to love better. I'm going to go home and I'm going to really love my wife. I'm I'm going to find someone in this auditorium right now and I'm going to find. I'm like, all right, I'm going to love. And they don't want it. They're like, just leave me alone. That's not what he's talking about. We're going to fail if we try to do this in the flesh. That's why this morning we're not looking at just, i got to love better, but following his example. Following his example means it's always about him. It's always focused on him. And as we look to him, and as we grow in our knowledge of his love as we experience his patience. So remember, love is patient. Love is kind. You know, if we want to run over that word love, and forget the definition of it. I think we do ourselves a disservice because what happens is we get very lost in our perspective of what feels like love versus what really looks like love. It's not arrogant. It's not rude. It does not insist on its own way. It's not irritable or resentful. I'm telling you, this is convicting. I mean, who is not irritable or resentful? Our hearts so quickly are not loving. Does not rejoice in wrongdoing, but rejoices in the truth. Listen, love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. This is the kind of love that Jesus shared with these disciples. This is the kind of love that we receive through Christ as we walk with him. And every time we think of these elements, it's so important for us to remind ourselves that this is a call of God on our lives, especially within the body of Christ. And with that, I want you to turn to 1 Corinthians 11 because it's this setting, this contrast that we come to. A very hard book. And and I want this to be encouraging this morning. The encouragement this morning is we have a great Savior and by His grace as we come to Him, He enables us to do this. The convicting part is we really really struggle in doing this, even within the body of Christ. And so in, in 1 Corinthians as Paul is writing to those that are Corinth, he's fixing a lot of things that are wrong. I mean, there is one thing after another after another that he has to correct. He's got to answer this attack on himself, whether he's even an apostle, whether he's truly serving the Lord as, as he should serve the Lord. I mean, as you walk right through this, it can be pretty negative. Second Corinthians is encouraging because they made a lot of those changes. But we come to 1 Corinthians 11 regularly because as we look to the Lord's table, it's a clear example, as Paul says, that he gave delivered to them the same thing that was given to him by Christ. And we follow that pattern. And sometimes we get so used to those words as we observe and remember the Lord's table, we miss the setting, even in the chapter itself. And so as we look at this, verses 17 and, and following, 17 and following this morning, the sad opening here to this section in verse 17 is that their observance of the Lord's table was not for the good. And I hope and pray that's not true with us this morning. I hope and pray every time we come to this table, we are encouraged and that we are centered and that we are reminded of the greatness of who God is as we look to serve him. But verse 17, he says, in the following instruction, I do not commend you because when you come together, it is not for the better, but in fact, for the worse. And why is that? Well, if you jump down to verse 29 and following, you see the consequence was judgment right there in their midst. Those who eat and drink without discerning the body eats and drinks judgment to himself. And that is why many of them were weak and ill, and some have even died. Now, just stop. I mean, sometimes we, we, we gloss over this. What he's saying is that those that are sick among you, that are being judged by God because of sin in their life in this particular area, even to the point of death, it's rooted to this abuse of the body. And it just that's sobering. And I'm, I'm not going to get here and start digging into your guys's life and saying, "Listen, you've got this because you got sin in your life." You know, you know where you are with the Lord. I don't believe God's judgment is ever a secret. His spirit very clearly convicts our hearts. But in this case, Paul's the one saying that's what it is. And you have done this and you have seen this. Now you need to repent from this. And the truth is, if you look at verse 18, jump back up there to verse 18 as you look at this this morning, he says they were not even observing the Lord's Supper And you went through the motions, you put his name on that, and listen, if there is something that happens regularly in church, this is probably one of those things that's abused the most. Those with with their hearts so far from God, yet coming before the very elements that define the greatest of grace and the greatest of gifts, not applied to their hearts or their lives in that moment. Verse 18, in the first place, when you come together as a church, he says in verse 18, I hear that there are divisions among you. This has been a theme, by the way, through 1 Corinthians, divisions. And I believe it in part, for there must be factions among you in order that those who are genuine among you may be recognized. Now, this is sarcasm. This isn't saying, well, you know what? There are those that are true and there are those that are not. And of course, there'd be a division because the true ones are going to shine. That's effectively what he's saying here. This is some strong language. Verse 20, when you come together, what was the problem? It's not the Lord's Supper that you eat. For in eating, each one goes ahead with his own meal. One goes hungry, another gets drunk. Now, I said, we have these little cups by tradition and these little itty bitty wafers by tradition. And one of the reasons for that is to guard and practice being guilty of anything like this. But in the first century, they shared literally a meal together, it was a full meal. And what he's saying here is that there are those, in verse 21, that go ahead and eat everything, and then the other one goes hungry. One goes hungry, another gets drunk. Do you not have your own houses to eat and drink? Do you despise the church of God and humiliate those who have nothing? What shall I say to you then? Shall I commend you in this? No. No. No, I know. What was happening here? This was, these were divisions and segregation and abuse of the body itself. The irony, the very body that Christ had purchased with the very blood that they were signifying in the cup. Listen, when we start walking away from love, we become walking contradictions. So fast. James says, the mouth that we use to bless God is often the mouth we use to curse Men who are made in his image. We gotta stay close. We gotta stay close to him. And even as we come and look at this this text again, we we can't with our practice and, and, and continual familiarity with all of this forget that when Paul says that he received from the Lord and delivered it to the Corinthians, that this is a divine imperative. Paul did teach them the truth. He did correct them, which we try to follow, but this is nothing short of a decree from Jesus himself. This is what Paul is saying. When we hear these words, I receive from the Lord what I also delivered to you, is not something to just take lightly, but Jesus cares about this. He bought this body, these believers, even those listening online, he bought us with his own blood Listen, when I don't love another believer, I'm doing something more than just failing or facing the consequences of that personally, but I am abusing a person that Christ purchased. In my marriage, my kids, my duties in serving all of you, anywhere in my life, how seriously do we take that? This is personal. The Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, took bread. You know, I've always wondered, that was kind of an interesting statement. Why did Paul include the night in which he was betrayed? You know, there's an element of betrayal here within the Corinthian church. If there was ever a group of people that would love you and support you and be there for you, it would be those believers that have been redeemed and are in God's family, right? We talked a little bit about this week, last week. Betrayal was not just there the night with Christ. But I think there's an implication here by Paul. There's a betrayal here as well within the body. Betrayed by ones that should have loved him. And this is very personal within our relationship with the Lord. This is very personal within that relationship. As we think of this, take and eat, this is my body, Jesus says, which is broken for you. Now that's a plural. So when he's saying this, when Paul is sharing this with the Corinthians, the implication is his personal body was broken for the whole church as much as every single one of us individually. You know, we treat this lightly. It's an affront to Jesus himself personally, whom we will all stand before. He says, Remember me. Remember me when we're struggling with this. Remember me when you have that, that faction in your heart against anyone who's in this church or any believer within your family, within your relationships. Remember me. Remember my washing of these feet called you to love love is patient love is kind it's not easily irritated oh we struggle with love in so doing we demonstrate the Lord's death until he comes we celebrate his death we celebrate his death because of our redeemed the payment of our redemption and, and you know what's interesting in all of this, coming back to being a disciple? Yes, we're reminded that we're redeemed as we come before this table. Absolutely. Yes, we're reminded that we're loved. Yes, we're reminded that he has purpose for you and he has purpose in each one of us. Yes, we're reminded that we're valued. That's true of all of this. But what Paul is saying in 1 Corinthians 11 is that every single believer is as well. And that as we're called to that, if we're really going to remind ourselves that he died for us, even as Jesus knelt and he slowly washed, it would have taken a while. Every single one of these men's feet, even the one who was going to betray him, of the great call of dying to self as we follow him, if we're going to follow him, if we're going to claim this as ours, if we're going to seek to walk in his steps. You know, I think of Matthew chapter 16. And you don't have to turn there. You can, you can just make a note of it. If anyone would come after me, verse 24, the command here is deny yourself. Let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life would lose it be- Whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. What will profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? Think about all the things we look to gain, even as we serve ourselves. Really? What what happens when we seek to accomplish whatever it is you're struggling with? Or to have whatever it is you're constantly wrestling with? Even if you were to get everything you wanted, what good would that be? Would it really be enough? If you're going to follow after him, we need to take up our cross. And listen, this gets used so many times. This is my cross to bear. You know, this trial or struggle or whatever, just my cross. That's not what he's talking about. When he says, take up your cross and follow me, it's literally walking to your death. It's a death sentence. It's the walk of death. Christ was in the walk of death even as he washed these disciples' feet, as he shared these elements, and they didn't get it. Take up your cross and follow me. Dying to self to serve our Lord. We're very blessed. That's the promise as we follow that. As we continue in 1 Corinthians though, the consequence of abusing the flock under the pretense of the Lord's Supper is almost the sickest twist to this abuse within the the body at Corinth. It's one thing to just abuse one another. It's one thing to just not be loving towards another. It's another thing to do so under the guise of the very purchase of each one, the demonstration of each one's value. And so that's why, as he says in verse 27, you are guilty of the blood and the body of the Lord who paid for all of us, including everybody that you're denigrating in all of this. Guilty of the blood and the body of our Lord. That's the call in verse 28 and 29. The call to examine ourselves, that we would not be abusing those that Jesus paid to redeem. That's what 1 Corinthians 11 is all about. That's what this instruction in here is all about. And so this morning as we consider this, we'd be foolish not to ask our own hearts as we come before the table Is this true of me? And I'm not saying it is. And again, like I said, when I come up here, I'm not sitting here thinking, man, we got real problems here at First Baptist. I'm gonna tell you, I'm so blessed by the spirit of this church. And I was even thinking as we were singing how wonderful it is to hear these voices sing. There's there's a loving, caring body here. But if we're honest, we struggle in every area of our life to be loving. We're still growing in this. And if we are just to look at At the book of 1 Corinthians, where he's talking about examining themselves up to this point, the truth is there were many abuses that had happened chapter by chapter by chapter that he was correcting. Chapter 1 and chapter 3 were divisions, conflict and strife over different church leaders. You follow after Apollos, you follow after Paul. Listen, don't you know that God's working through each one? See, it's God's work. Don't get hung up on the man. Chapter 3, continues to remind us that every believer stands before the Lord. You know, you're concerned about all this. You should really be concerned in how you're investing in the ministry, how you're investing in God's work. The sad thing there is, he says, there will be many that go through that where the things done will be examined. They'll come out the other end. It will be very little to nothing truly done for the Lord. Oh, that's terrifying. It makes me shudder. Makes me come back, to, as he said in chapter 4, as Paul did, and say, I just, I just I give it to the Lord. If there's anything good in this, Lord, here it is. Search my heart, but help me serve. Chapter 5, abuse of the body by not dealing with sin. You know, sometimes we think that love just means acceptance. That's not loving. Sin destroys. And so the abuse here was actually celebrated. Look at us. We just love them in the Lord, you know, let the blood cover it. What Paul says is this was an abuse because everyone in the church is impacted by that sin. You've got to deal with it. This person is struggling. They're destroying themselves. That's not loving. You know, there's no victimless sin. Sometimes we can have these private sins and we say, no, no one's hurt. No, that's not true. Even as you're affected, you affect everybody. And if we come before this table and we treat lightly or gloss over, you know, those things that you bring to the Lord, well, you know, just forgive me this time, but you know, it's just a pattern. You haven't broken the pattern. That's serious. And don't think that it doesn't affect everybody around you. It does. We need to deal with that. Chapter six is sad because there's there's actually abuse. In the body, by suing one another. Frivolous, profiteering off of one another. Chapter 6, later in the, in the chapter, abuse, literally, of the individual body as these people were going up to the temple to have their, their physical, sexual desires met. Absolutely unacceptable. How are you to be bound with those that bind themselves, even with the worship of demons? Demons. Chapter seven, abuses in marriage. I mean, you can keep walking through every aspect of this, but think about how love and service and abuse in our flesh touches so many of these different areas that he's already walked through up to this point. I love chapter nine. This is something we struggle with. Paul said, listen, I surrendered my rights as an apostle to become a servant of all. And while he doesn't mention this specifically, as you read through this, and especially in our culture, the abuse of demanding our own rights is one of those things we struggle with probably more than anything. This is my right. I deserve this. In chapter 10, as we think through just all of this in our own hearts and lives, aren't you glad to know (laughs) that he's so patient with us? If anyone thinks that he stands, take heed lest he fall. I'm so glad to know that all this temptation that's overtaken us that we struggle with, it's not new. You don't have the worst of it. It's common. But God is faithful. Aren't you glad God is faithful? He's faithful. He will not let you to be tempted beyond your ability, but with this temptation also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. Listen, we're not preaching that we need to just do this better. Apart from him, we can. not But what we are seeing in chapter 11 is a challenge to our own hearts. Where are you at? When we come together as a church, you know, at the end, we're going to be welcoming many new church members. What's the significance of that? It's huge. They're a part of the family. These young kids that have Have been faithful and and gotten baptized and said, I'm a part of this family. What, What are we saying when we shake their hands, when we encourage them? It should be the same thing that we're saying as we each take part in remembering this table. I was bought too. I need to love too. We need to walk this path together. What was happening here in chapter 11 was abuse. Abuse of one another, the rich versus the poor, the popular versus the unpopular, the superior, air quotes, and the inferior. Listen, this can happen so quickly in a body, and every single time we observe this table, it's so important for us to just check our hearts. The solution in all of this we see in verse 33 and 34. This is an answer right in the text. How should I answer this? I should answer this by considering and looking to love one another as we come back time after time to the same table considering one another letting the others go first looking to serve listen these these deacons here serve this church happy to allow one to go ahead of another is a basic principle of putting others in front of ourselves serving out of love Jesus says, remember me in all of this. Remember me. A couple questions this morning. Am, am, am I discerning the body of Christ? This is my body which is given to you. Do this and remember to me. This is my body broken for you to redeem this body of Christ. When Paul says the body matters, means that each important each one is important and each one matters am i discerning the body of christ you know in our life across the board through all of these different chapters we just really highlighted a couple things this morning are there course corrections in my life that are needed how many times have we come to this table How many times have you laid your heart before the Lord because there are things in your life that you know need to change? Are we doing that daily? Are we getting those things straight? Are we choosing to humble ourselves? to purpose to love. Look to actively serve. I know there's many servants here. And I don't mean to say that any of these things are, again, pointed to anybody or any group. But even in our own hearts, often we could be serving outwardly and our heart isn't there. And as we come to this table today, I want to remind all of us of our Savior washing the feet of these men, including His enemy. And just ask the Lord, even as we take a moment of of reflection, to help us do this, because apart from Him, we can't. Let's bow our hearts in prayer this morning, would you? Dear Lord, you, you know us. You know every aspect of where our intentions are, even in connection to our outward actions. We confess that we struggle in true love. We're growing in that, thankfully. We plead for your help to continue to walk with you in love every day. We ask for your grace. because so we need it. We're so thankful that you're faithful. We're so thankful that you are truly loving, that you are patient, that you are kind. We just ask forgiveness for those ways even in our own heart, in those small, small moments where we get focused on ourself again. We're so thankful that you did not and that you redeemed us by your blood and it's you saved us and brought us into your family. We just pray for this church. We're so grateful for the work in the lives of each one here. We're so thankful for what you're doing in and through our lives. I I pray that we might be a beacon to those around us truly as we walk in your love daily that others would see you in us. And so we just come before you as your people the best way we know how. Thanking you praising you and resting in you to help us as we look to live out even just just today. And we thank you in your son's name. Amen. Now, speaking of the table so often, these elements are, just as a reminder, significant